This hour is brought to you by Cars for Kids. Call one eight seven seven Cars with a K. The numeral four kids. I'm not going to do more acronyms, but one more. But it, it, and it's just win W I N. You know what am I going to do now? You got to see where you are and be where your feet are, and with that you can move forward. And so those are some things. Then I think the very last thing is the one thing we can control when we're in tough situations: our attitude. Stay have a positive attitude. Your faith in God. God's in control. Continue to pray about it and trust Him. That is recently suspended Texas Tech head coach Mark Adams. Wait, that acronym lost me. My head is spinning. When is what am I going to do now? I'm not going to do more acronyms, but one more. And it's just win, W-I-N. You know, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? That's Wigtadin. So this this interview with Mark Adams was at some church in texas live oak community church where he was rattling off the acronyms in this interview like multiple acronyms to the point where they edited the video where they do the fade you know the cut the fade and the fade out because there's too many because there's too many he was just rattling off acronyms for for several minutes so continuously. this guy's a complete idiot i'm not gonna do more acronyms but one more but it, it and it's just win w-i-n you know what am i gonna do now He's got Dosky. PPTPW. TWTW. HYPRR. It's an acronym. Our success equals the knowledge. The E stands for effort. And then the last E stands for energy. Players play, tough players win. Will to win. The H is for the how. Y stands for yours. P is when the process starts. R is for the result. And the other R is for the actual response. That's what he's got. Damn! Hustle, intensity, Taking care of the football, taking it away, and being smart situational players. I'm not going to do more acronyms, but one more. But it, it, and it's just win, W-I-N. You know, what am I going to do now? I going to do coaches. What am I going to? How does that? How does that win? Well, the, the the problem with with this coach is he in front of a player as a way of demanding subservience started quoting a Bible verse about slaves and their masters and how the slaves need to serve the masters. And the player apparently said, what? You, what like, ho- What'd ho- you say? Hold on a second here. I uh, don't like that. Coach? I don't like that at all. That's not okay. And... I think they realized it's not okay. It's and well, one of the other one of the other coaches was like an acronym, coach. That's probably not okay. And then it rose to the level of the athletic director, the athletic director, who, by the way, is terrible at his job. Yes. If you look at that school and what has been going on with all of their between football. Men's basketball, women's basketball, how that idiot still has a job is completely beyond me. Well, the the AD at Texas Tech put out a statement in suspending Adams for a game saying that they had they heard about the incident and that Adams had apologized, to which Adams was like, no, I didn't. I didn't apologize and I'm not going to apologize because what I'm doing is quoting scripture. Now, here's the problem. If this is Belmont or DePaul, it wouldn't happen at DePaul. 
But let's just say that it was a religious institution of higher learning. Liberty. It would definitely happen at Liberty. Of course it would. You might have a little bit more leeway with this. You still have to choose your words and what lessons you want to be learned and the language that you use to try and and teach that lesson. You could, if you are someone who is, is down with scripture, you could take the scripture and leave out the slave and master part but Absolutely, it's, but it's still about subservience. Of course, that, 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 that's the even without that, it's bad. Of course, it is, Dan. But and that's something I do. I wrote down that I wanted to talk about that. You, you could turn it into Star Wars if you want it. To become a master, you have to submit to a master. You could do whatever you want. There are always two Sith. Right. There is the master and the, the you, apprentice. You, yeah. you could do whatever you want it, but to then like not see the horror in the player's eyes when you do this, then you're told, this is why I don't like this. And you're like, ah, well, it doesn't matter. I'm quoting scripture. Right. He said, I didn't apologize because I'm quoting scripture. Like, like because, because he's quoting the New Testament, he doesn't have to apologize for it because it's the immutable uh, word of the Lord. Like, it's, you have to be that's careful you, right now like i think they've only won nine not, games and also like not everybody thinks that dude right N- not not everyone agrees with you agrees with you on it or agrees with your interpretation because that's what we're talking about here you're taking a bible verse and you're using it to interpret and relate to whatever message you want to try and send to the player. And if you're a good As coach, if it's you, giving you the authority exactly. of God to Right. I'm the vessel of the Lord, so you must listen to me about basketball. Come on, man. If you're a good coach, you don't need to go there. I don't think. It's like, really? You're you're not gonna practice rebounding? You're gonna make that back cut hard? Well, I'll tell you what. A lightning bolt shall rain I'll, upon you from my hands. I'll, ah! I'll tell you what, if you don't want to rebound, I got this verse. Remembered Ezekiel 25, 17. By Grabfar's hammer, you will make that back cut. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequity and the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill leads the people through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the fighter of lost children. And I will strike down with great vengeance and furious anger those who would poison or destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. And then later on, he said, I don't know, I just thought that was some cool bleep I used to say before I capped him. And then he was trying to figure out if he wanted to be the shepherd. What I, does I, Marcellus Wallace look like? What? What country you from? What? what? What ain't no country I ever heard of. They speak English and what? What? English, do you speak it? Yes. Then you know what I'm saying. Yes. Describe what Marcellus Wallace looks like. What? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you. Say what one more time. 
does he look like a bitch? What? Pow! <laughs> this, like, this, this, it's just everything that's wrong with coaching. Throw around a bunch of acronyms and cloak myself in religious righteousness and refer to you as a slave just to put a ball in a basket? Go away. Go away. Back to the hills with ye. When it comes to my own journey with religion and God, I feel very lucky that I spend time at DePaul because you're required at DePaul. At least you were when I was a student. I don't know if that's still the requirement now. Take two religion classes. They can be whatever you want. And I had a history of religion class with Father Halstead. And he's like, look around. You grew up Catholic, right? I'm like, yeah. Altar boy, master of ceremony, like all that stuff. A lot of Bible verses swimming around in my head, including Ezekiel 25, 17, which isn't isn't accurately quoted in Pulp Fiction. But never mind. It's still a great moment. He said, look around for the stuff that's going to make you a better person. So for me, I've taken that with me since DePaul. And trying to figure out, because, you know, the Catholic Church is messy, like really messy. And there are a lot of lapsed Catholics who believe in trying to be better people, but not necessarily through the Catholic Church. Or your relationship is very specific to your parish and what you're getting at your parish versus Catholicism overall. My whole thing has been if. Religion puts you on the right road to being a better person and understanding and caring about other people. I'm fine with it. But you have to be careful that your beliefs are not the beliefs of others. And when they say to you that their beliefs are not your beliefs, you have to take heed there. This guy. Well, this isn't just trying to proselytize. This isn't just trying to get. This isn't like a prayer circle where maybe somebody said, you know, this isn't my religion. I don't want to participate in a prayer circle. This is a guy making us a master and slave reference. Yes. And then hiding. And, and then hide. And then doubling down that it's okay because it's part of, of a religious text in which he believes. Like there's so many levels of this that are wrong and bad. And he is completely oblivious to how wrong and bad they are. And and the part that really bothers me, and it bothers me with people who proclaim to be pious, there's an opportunity for you to say you're sorry. There's an opportunity for you in this moment to realize that you may have done wrong by someone else. And to to stick with his Bible verse There's an opportunity for you to be the servant here, to serve this person who is aggrieved and offended by what it is that you said. And your choice is to not do that. Your choice is to not walk with Jesus in that moment. Because if if we are going to really talk about like the life of Christ and what it is like to be Christ-like, Christ would have apologized. And try to find middle ground with this person. But that never seems to be the thing. And to, I wrote down when you brought the story up yesterday and we didn't have time to do it. 
And obviously, I think he's he's going to be fired because he's also bad. That's the, they're looking for cause. I well, think. The, I think I, the lawyers right now are just going through this. With I think a the nine wins film. is yeah. enough for them to fire him. But but I keep writing. And then they fire the AD because that that it's enough. Probably do AD first and then fire him too. Who's watching the watchers? It's a theme over the last couple of years as players have become more empowered that we're seeing these coaches lose their bleep. Whether it's Dabo Swinney. Kim Mulkey. Oh, she's one of the worst. She's a great coach, but she's one of the worst. Horrible human being. Disgusting. Jim Beheim. Even when we had the conversation with Seth a couple weeks ago, he's not even coaching anymore. and But he still feels like, oh, the... The power dynamic has shifted in a way that the people in charge were not ready for it. It's some of them. There are, there are some that have been able to, to really navigate this well. Uh, for all the things that are said about Nick Saban, I think he's handled this thing pretty well. Some people just left the sport. They're like, you know what? These guys, the kids are getting too much power. And because they're getting too much power, I can't do that. I can't do this anymore. And I'm okay with that. If, if it's not a space that you want to work in, then cool. You can walk away and do something else, and you probably made enough money that will allow you to do that. But it just, it it's amazing to me with these coaches who have been the the lords of their fiefdoms for forever. Now that that the the people living underneath that that fiefdom have a little bit of agency a touch of independence. They don't know how to lead. And that's what I think is fascinating. These people who are held up as wonderful leaders, look at look at what they do, and they they take women and turn them, the young girls and turn them into women, and, and they take these, these boys and turn them into men. Meanwhile, out of South Carolina, Dawn Staley's like leading a revolution. Where they're talking, her players are talking about her, and they're talking about what she's done for them as human beings. And what she's done, I think, for the greater good of not just women's basketball, but basketball overall. And and it comes with the success. Like, she's winning national championships. They'll be the odds-on favorite to, to win the national championship again this year. And it, and it seems like there are all of these examples out there for coaches to model, and they choose not to do it because this is the way that it's always been done. It's a partnership now. It's- more, it's more partner. I don't. I wouldn't say it's a full partnership, but it's more partnership than it's ever been at the collegiate level. And rather than it kicking and screaming and fighting it and being Dabo Sweeney about it, and I'll I'll resign the day these kids get paid. Waiting, waiting. Yeah, that still. Yeah. They're getting paid now. Dabo, why haven't you quit? Still there. You still there, Dabo? Yeah. And he gets to do that because of the type of university that Clemson is. And he gets his whole pretend ministry there. Uh, yeah. He gets to do the whole thing of and I think that there are ways that, that you can you can weave some of that. If it is a part of who you are, you can weave some of that and you can take you can take the religion out of it 
and use the parables without the religion. How about I just, coach by faith? How about just don't be racist? Well, there's. I mean, really, that, that's, that's the thing. another like, part you're of talk, this because you're really talking about, about the religious aspect of it, which is which is completely reasonable. But just don't be a damn racist. And if your religion makes you a bigot, it's a bad religion. It's a bad religion. That's what it comes down to. And to not be able to see that even when confronted with it. Even when someone's looking at you saying, that's not okay. Yeah, like that ain't it. It's not okay. And if you think that, and if you think that's okay, that's even worse. Yeah. And you you don't respond to it. And maybe even in the minute I could give grace to someone not understanding who, who didn't maybe didn't understand oh boy you know i never i never thought of it that way but, and i but, just looked at these words and, and i and i never understood how someone else from a different background might take it thank you for giving me that that empathy and that angle that i never had before and maybe in that minute you don't get it like maybe you're you're angered by it because you feel like you're trying to do something good and that person is not responding but with time and perspective and other people telling you that it's wrong, including your boss, and, and you double and triple down on it, it's one of the biggest problems that we have as a republic. And you're seeing it with people in power, how they roll and how they don't want to be pushed or challenged. And they will not be challenged by people who are between the ages of 18 and 22, even though... The world that those people live in is a little different than the one that you grew up in. We're going to keep talking college basketball. Eamon Brennan is scheduled to join us next, the senior college basketball writer at The Athletic. We've got Chris Collins being named Big Ten Coach of the Year. Chris Lowry, his uh, lieutenant, is named Big Ten Assistant Coach of the Year. Terrence Shannon makes first team, and and Adige and Bowie make second team all Big Ten. And we've... Got small schools winning their conferences, punching their ticket to the big dance. Eamon <laughs> <laughs> Brennan will join us next on the score. Final seconds, Northwestern. What an impressive way to cap such an impressive regular season. The Cats will be the two seed in Chicago. I'd be shocked if Chris Collins wasn't the Big Ten Coach of the Year. Chris Collins joins us on the score. Our guys knew coming into this year, I mean, they, they want to win. And we have a lot of guys in our locker room and our team that have had good careers, but they, they've yet to be on a winning team. And, you know, the, the whole theme of this whole year has been about winning. Well, it's been a hell of a year for a team that, for anybody who didn't pick them last in the Big Ten, they picked them next to last, and here they are ending up next to first. But it was crazy, though, because had they lost, they would have been the ninth seed. Right. In the Big, Big Ten tournament. That's wild. Wild. That's wild. Eamon Brennan is on Twitter at Eamon Brennan. He is the senior college basketball writer at The Athletic. He's on the Score Hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Well, Eamon, I had uh, someone just ask me uh, yesterday, what the hell's going on in the Big Ten this year, and which of these teams is good? And I said, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure. I'll ask you the same question. What's been going on in the Big Ten, and which of these teams is good? <laughs> yeah, uh, it is a mess. I mean, you guys referenced in there in the in the lead-in of the, you know the season Northwestern's had, and it's this like breakthrough for Chris Collins and Northwestern after a few years of trying to get here. And yeah, you know they they weren't far off from being the nine seed in the in the Big Ten, and that's more down to just kind of the mess that the program is, the way people have kind of 
beat up on each other for most of the season. I mean, even a team like Purdue, which cruised through the, the front end of the league schedule really unscathed, got to the back half here, and all of a sudden um, it's a very, you know, they're losing four out of six or whatever it was and really struggling and looking like, they just kind of got worn down by playing pretty good, if not great teams on a nightly basis. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, I think Purdue's good. I think they're a little tired. I think their guards look tired, uh, particularly the freshman Braden Smith and, and lawyer look just like, you know, 18 year old guys who have been spending the last four months playing against 22 year olds. who have had strength and conditioning programs for four years. Um, but I think they have a chance to catch a second wind and, and hit their potential in the tournament. I think Indiana's good. Um, by and large, with a couple of flaws here and there, but generally speaking, like if they're making open corner threes, they're a very difficult team to stop. Um, and then from there, it's kind of everybody bunched together for me. You know, Illinois is extremely hot and cold and probably the best representation of this conference And that on a, on a good night, you know, Illinois will give you, uh, you know, a team that can beat UCLA and Baylor on a neutral floor. Um, but, you know, as we've seen throughout conference play, have been – frustrating and meteoric and have been a mystery even to their own coach at times, I think. I remember a few years ago, Shaka Smart having the quote, you know, you don't run from happiness. And then he ran from happiness and he ran to Texas and things didn't go well there. Things are going very well for him at Marquette. What's he done to to put them in a position to be a, a dark horse favorite to win the whole damn thing? Yeah, well, I think culturally it's a better fit there for him. I think Marquette is a little bit scrappier. It's a little bit um, more aligned with kind of how he is as a guy. I think Texas uh, is a very attractive job for coaches. You know, I think, you you know, you really can't overlook, like, this is a debate that people in college basketball circles have all the time. But, like, Texas is like a top five job because they give you a ton of resources. You have all the talent in the world in Texas at your disposal. And the fans kind of don't care if you're just average. They don't notice until um, spring football is over anyway. So it's like the the a really attractive job that's very hard to turn down. But I think it just never really worked out for him there. Um, he never established a core sort of identity of play the way that they had at VCU. That was kind of revolutionary with his, his pressing system and stuff. They never had that at Texas. He came in, inherited a bunch of, you know, big Rick Barnes, forwards he had to kind of adjust his personnel and never really got going culturally there i think um whereas at marquette he's come in and kind of been able to reset the guys have fit his system a little bit better and to be fair this season he completely re you know sort of evolved revolutionized his own offense to the point where they're playing a lot of really sort of newfangled five out spacey stuff where you don't necessarily make contact with screens and guys are kind of off Virginia played kind of a system, a version of it a couple of years ago when they had suddenly had, you know, five shooters on the floor um, during the COVID year. And it, it's, it's a really uh, interesting offensive system. It's absolutely gotten the maximum out of Tyler Kolek, their sophomore point guard who um, has had a phenomenal year in, in the big East. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's a better cultural fit. And then when he got there, he had a bit more of a blank slate to kind of figure out like, okay, how do we want, Shaka Smart Marquette basketball to look, and you're seeing it this year. It's been really successful. 
When you start looking at some of these teams around the fringes and the smaller conferences that are winning, there's some upsets, there's some some non-upsets. Who are you circling as, ooh, boy, you don't some, – some big Goliath isn't going to want to see this team? Well, I mean, Florida Atlantic is the one that's kind of obvious coming out of Conference USA. They're – you know, if you read down a list of, like, the net rankings, which is obviously, like, the new RPI that, that uh, the NCAA selection committee uses, I think they're up to, like, 15th. Recently, I mean, they they haven't played or beaten many good teams. I think they won at Florida early in the year, which kind of set them up for like, oh, this you know this mid major team is is probably going to get an at large to the tournament if they don't win their don't win their league tournament. They just kind of battered everyone they played against, basically with with limited exception. Um, Charleston is another good one. Charleston is as of last night has thirty wins um, and hasn't beaten anyone super of note. So I, I don't know that they'll get into the NCAA tournament unless they finish things off in, in the CAA tournament, but um, you watch them play last night and you can see why they've been so successful. They have um, just fantastic perimeter shooting. They play really up and down really fast and kind of overwhelm teams with, with three point shooting and pace and space stuff that we, you know, I think commonly associate in the last 10 years with the NBA, but you see a lot of colleges running it now and you see a lot of colleges that go out, recruit guys, whether internationally or from, you know, sort of unheralded places that can kind of run off screens, shoot the ball quickly, and design systems around getting them open, and and it's worked for Charleston this year for sure. There was one team that I've seen. Don't don't ask why I've been watching Patriot League games, but if if <laughs> he's watching Patriot League just, games it, because his son's getting ready to go to Buck now, if if Colgate takes care of business against Lafayette, they look like one of those that could just be a pain in somebody's ass. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Uh, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you and say that I have not watched that many Patriot League games. That's this because year, you're, so not you're, any, you're not you're not an idiot that. like I am. Because <laughs> yeah, you, you, I mean, you 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 could avoid it. Yeah, I've got like uh, you know 120 other teams that I have to cover before I get before I get down to the Patriot League. But no, I mean, <laughs> like, you know, good for you. Um, Your priorities yeah. are in perfect shape then. Yeah, yeah. With that and three children, it's either you know there there was a time in my life where I was definitely sicko mode enough to to be across all the Patriot League stuff, but I don't know if we're there anymore. Well, let me ask you about North Carolina, because I know that you've been doing some stuff about them. It's interesting because it felt like midway through the season, Kentucky and North Carolina were in the same place. We are like, are they going to even make the tournament? Now, Kentucky turned it on, and now they're back in the top 25. North Carolina has not. How did we go from championship game to this? Yeah, it's, it's one of the great sort of, I don't know if it's a mystery because I think there are some commonly accepted reasons for it. Um, at least North Carolina fans, I think, have started to develop their theories as to why this has happened. But, you know, it is still pretty – like whatever sort of um, explanation you want to come up with behind the scenes sort of internally with guys getting along or, you know – I think Carolina fans think that, that this cycle sort of sort of naturally come to an end last year, but because of NIL and, and this core group of guys not having huge draft stock, but having obviously the opportunity to come back and make money again as a sort of vaunted Carolina team, that this this sort of cycle of players wasn't allowed to come to an end naturally after after what they accomplished last year. But the bottom line is all of those guys came back thinking they were going to be the best team in the country. And they came back fully embracing the idea that they were the number one team um, in the preseason. They were the number one team in the preseason. 
Um, you know, they were a couple possessions away from winning a national title. I mean, this team ended Coach K's career at Cameron Indoor and then did it again in the Final Four. And, you know, yes, they lost Brady Manick, who was a hugely important player and, and shot the lights out for a month and a half uh, towards the tail end of last season all the way through the tournament. But, you know, they replaced him with a guy from Northwestern, Pete Nance, who on paper anyway um, had a very sort of similar track record of, big man perimeter shooting kind of fit just in the same spot. And they had four starters coming back, including Armando Baycott, who was uh, a, a favorite for preseason national player of the year. So the, the talent has been there. It's, uh, I think there's been a combination of guys not really totally bought in and bad shot selection and all the sort of little things that you see that compound on a team that isn't totally bought in together and isn't, isn't on the same page anymore in the way that it was when they were playing some of the best basketball in the country last season. But I mean, look, it's, it is, it's kind of hard to overstate like how crazy this is. It might be the most disappointing team the last 10 years. It's been a very long time since the preseason number one overall team didn't make the NCAA tournament. And right now I think unless they win the ACC tournament, I don't think they're going to go to the, I don't, I don't think they're going to go to the big dance. And it's kind of remarkable given how much talent is there and, and what they accomplished like a year ago. You brought up the idea of, of a class like moving on, but because of the extra year and because of NIL, considerations we're seeing more and more of fifth sixth seventh year seniors that are are making their way around college basketball from the coaches that you've talked to what's their strategy with maybe not running a player off and and having to have that player on their team when they were expecting to move another player into that spot yeah well I think I think most coaches are thrilled with it. I mean, like Hubert Davis wasn't trying to get rid of any of these guys, right? You know, like he was, he wanted all of them back. Why wouldn't he? And I think, um, you know, like a guy like at Kentucky this year, Oscar Shibway, has he, he's been very, very good all year. He's still one of the best rebounders in the country, one of the best interior sort of scorers, most productive guys. But he struggled on the defensive end. He hasn't been as good as he was last year. I don't think John Calipari in a million years would have said, no, we don't want Oscar back. Um, and I still don't think he'd say that. I just think college coaches are very on board with the idea that you need to get old and stay old. And it used to just be, you know, in the past decade, 15 years, it used to be like the Virginias of the world who had really mastered that through like, look, we're going to recruit a certain tier of guy. We're going to convince them when they come in, like, hey, if you need to take a red shirt, it's going to be better for you in the long run. Look at what it did for DeAndre Hunter and Malcolm Brogdon and, and so on and so forth. And we'll get guys who are sophomores, juniors, seniors, and our team will be old and well-rounded and, and will fit together over, you know, these three- and four-year cycles. Now coaches are kind of trying to do it automatically in one year of, okay, we, we just got a bunch of seniors out of the portal. We plucked a guy from Bucknell. We, we plucked yeah, a guy no, from didn't. Colgate. And we just throwing them, we're just throwing them all in. And, <laughs> And, and, you know, it, it, it worked for Kentucky last year. They were a number two seed last year. Yes, they lost to St. Peter's, but they had a great season, and they had a lot of transfers on that team that came in as older guys. It's just it's a fit thing, and it's a, you know, it's tricky. Like, I don't think most coaches will. I think given the, the chance, all of these guys want to keep their best players. They want to keep their seniors. And these big guys, particularly the type that are super productive star players in college, who are probably not as worth much to the NBA as they are to boosters around the country who are willing to offer up NIL deals. And so I think we'll 
we'll keep seeing it. I just think this Carolina team is kind of a one-off weird thing where, for whatever reason, they just have not clicked personally, collectively, um, on the floor or off it in the, in the way you would have expected coming off last year. Last thing for you, Eamon, are we really going to do this with Alabama? We're just going to pretend that the three of their players weren't involved in a shootout in uh, just off of campus. I mean, is this where are we with this, and what are we doing? Yeah, it's weird. So, I mean, I think I don't think uh, if I can speak collectively, I don't think college basketball media has been ignoring it. I think it is tricky, and I think like there's been a good argument about the Brandon Miller thing of like, well, you know. Look, he's complied. He's cooperated. There's no allegation of wrongdoing. The police aren't going to charge him with anything. Uh, everything he said has been corroborated by physical evidence and yada, yada, surveillance, whatever. And I think there's like I have personally come down kind of softly and maybe cowardly in the middle where it's like I totally get why everyone's instinct would be like this guy can't be on the floor. Doesn't matter how good he is. He was involved in the shooting. He brought someone in their legal firearm and that firearm was later used in, in uh, allegedly in a murder. I get that. That's kind of where I would fall. I also understand the argument, which like guys like Jay Billis have been making, I think pretty eloquently of, Hey, he hasn't been charged with anything. He has rights, et cetera, et cetera. I think the thing about Alabama that has been bothersome in the wake of all that is that instead of being very sort of like sensitive to the idea of why people would be upset by this, about the family um, of the victim, about the community that is clearly shaken by this. There's been a sort of like, well, we didn't do, he didn't do anything wrong, so what are you going to do? And, you know, Brandon Miller's getting pretend padded down in a, a, a warm-up line, and it's like, oh, we've been doing this all year. Okay, well, stop doing it. Like, it's clearly not appropriate in this situation. And there's just kind of been a little bit of a callousness from Alabama that I think has added to the idea of, like, they had come out and Miller had given sort of his explanation of, like, look, it was stupid to be involved or be around this, but like, like he asked me to bring him his gun. I gave it to him. I didn't know what was going to happen. I went home, whatever. Maybe you'd get a little bit more sympathy, but the way they've handled it has been very much like, oh, yeah, nothing to see here. Don't worry about it. And it doesn't give off the right vibe in any way, considering the seriousness of what happened. Eamon Brennan, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time. Yeah, take care, guys. Eamon Brennan, senior college basketball writer for The Athletic. When we return, there were some interesting comments from Cubs general manager Carter Hawkins about a couple of key players who may be looking at big paydays and how they're trying to time that out because we know what their policy has been in the past with some other players, and I want to know if they apply it differently, what it may say about their feelings for different players. So let's discuss next on The Score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. It's Odyssey Station. So correct me if I'm wrong, but when it came to the Anthony Rizzo negotiations, among others. Will there be an extension? Will there be something? And Jed Hoyer was pretty clear, right? That once this, once we get to the season, that's it's over. It's not done before the season. We don't go into the season. They would prefer to not do any sort of negotiation once the season begins because they feel like it's tough on them and it's tough on the player. So 
right. they, they would prefer to not do that. And I believe they, they buy themselves a little wiggle room by saying something to the, the effect of, well, the door is always open, but it's not something we like to do or prefer to do, right? Right. Okay, because two important, what I would say are core Cubs in All-Star and Gold Glover Ian Happ and the the four-win player at short who's now moving to a valuable, important position at second base and Nico Horner are going to be eligible. These, these are going to be possibilities here. So Carter Hawkins was on with Mully and Haw, and I just I found it interesting when he talked about their mindset regarding extensions. As Jed has talked about, we're, we're not going to talk about the specifics of those, but I can say that you know, there's no rule that says you know, contract extensions have to be done by a particular date. Um, you know, typically teams like to get them done before the season just to, to make sure that there's not that added distraction in, in spring training because of just the extra time and you know, it, it not counting. Uh, makes it a little bit easier for some of those conversations. But you know, we've talked you know, at length about Ian and guys like Nico and others that are, are definitely guys who want to be here for a long time if we can make it work. And you know, those are conversations that are ongoing. Hmm. That, now that's that's more than just well we'll keep our door open that that is my take from that is negotiations are active do you think that the Horner negotiation is complicated by the fact that he's the second baseman now and not the shortstop how so where you if you're the Horner camp being the shortstop, you saw what the market was for the shortstops this past offseason. Not the same type of market for second base. Although, I do think that that position is going to become more important because of these new rules. That was the idea. Where what you want is a shortstop or shortstop light playing at second base. But how does that change the way the market works for what your value is? Like, from a market standpoint... Has Nico Horner's value gone down because of a position change? I might argue it's gone up. And that's because of the the positionality of of war. Like don't you, there were for some there's some years where just being a a good second baseman could give you a really high war. That was the Ben Zobris thing in Tampa, remember? Yes. Like when 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 all, everything that he did when he was listed as a second baseman it actually helped his value because but, but didn't with Zobris like they were also he was playing games at shortstop and yeah you know here's the thing though I don't know the answer to that because maybe the positional I don't know are they going to tweak will fan tweak the the calculation of war I, I don't know I guess they would have to right as, as it becomes more important because the defensive position of right. second base is now different right. than what it was. What yeah. you're being asked to do, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Now that I've now that I've kind of thought around it, does it help or hurt? Because are they going to recalculate the positional value, or is that automatically going to be factored in like it would be any year based on the plays you're asking that person to make? And where does range and arm now factor into your value in a way that it didn't? interesting and obviously like the stuff with Ian Happ like we went through it with Ian last season Mm -hmm. where he was trying to figure out what his future was and if he was going to be traded and all of this other stuff um it's these are interesting times I'm I'm gonna go down to Sloan um this week at the end of the week I'll be there because we're gonna have 
the Cubs White Sox game on our air on Friday. So I'll be down at Sloan on Friday. I'm interested to see a lot of stuff. I we don't have time to discuss it now. Maybe we can discuss it tomorrow. Maddie Lee did a piece with Dansby Swanson, like talking about defense and positioning. That was really, really interesting. Like getting into the mind of why people really enjoy Dansby Swanson as a teammate. But I, I want to see some of this stuff up close. So I'm going to get a chance to watch a couple days of baseball um, while I'm down there. And, and whenever we do talk baseball and talk about being at Sloan Park, we should remind you, Cubs Ring Training on the Score is sponsored by Sloan, official water efficiency partner of your Chicago Cubs. Your Chicago White Sox will be the topic of discussion next as James Fegan of The Athletic will join us on the score.